This was in the, you know, very Catholic, working class, 1980s, suburban Boston culture. Right. Um, and, uh, and so there were these profound contradictions where she sent me to Catholic school, but she paid for that Catholic school tuition by selling a brick of cocaine and then paid for my tuition in cash. We paid for a lot of things in cash in my house. Welcome to the Lifelines podcast brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. I'm Marina Aris. And I'm Diane Fenner. And we're your hosts. This is the podcast for book creators, book lovers, and literary ambassadors. Join us each week as we explore the writing life, the art, and the business of creating great books. With us today is Dominica Ruda, the author of With or Without You, a memoir of an unconventional coming-of-age story with a darkly hilarious chronicle of a misfit 90s childhood. Dominica, thank you so much for joining us. We're happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am particularly happy to have this opportunity to interview you. I have read With or Without You, which is a New York Times bestseller, and um, I'm particularly interested in excellent memoir, and it's that. Uh, but we should also say that you have another book coming out on the same publishers, and I think it's Last Day. Last Day, and it's coming out sometime in the spring 2019 catalog from Spiegel and Grau. And tell us a little bit about that book while we're on it, just so that we know about it. Okay, so my it's my first novel that I have published. I've written other novels that I would not let anyone read, but um, as practice novels. But it's my first novel that I've published, and it is... A story in triptych and it follows three sets of characters over a fictional holiday that celebrates the end of the world and it's I'd say it's um, speculative fiction light you know it's if you're expecting um, if you're like if you if you're a real diehard sci-fi fan you'll be very disappointed but if you like light Kurt Vonnegut style Got you know, it. more literary, more character-driven, less science, more fiction. Wow, that's I like a that. leap, and especially challenging. I mean, to me, memoir is kind of one of the more accessible forms. I don't mean to say it's easy, but then to go from something that's a little bit more available to something world sort building, of market right? style. World you building. Still had to, you still I had to, to. I mean, build. there's a whole yeah. cosmology that I had to create that went back to the Byzantine Empire. Wow. Of of this, you know, I had to create a myth system about this holiday, and it's in. And that's an interesting question, Diane, because um, that was sort of my goal in writing this novel. I wrote this memoir, and I'm so proud of it. And Good. it was incredibly hard to write in different ways than writing the novel, but I yeah. set out in the novel to do everything differently than I had done with the memoir. So the memoir is obviously it's first person. I want to write in third person. Right. The memoir is, it's my life. I wanted this to be completely imaginary. And in the novel, I, um, I'm exploring all of my deepest fears. One of them, which was, can I write a novel? I'm being really afraid of that. But then my oldest fear of my whole life is the apocalypse. That's something I've been afraid of since I was a little kid. And, um, and so I, that became the focus of the entire novel. But then within the novel, there's all these other things that are my deepest fears. It's just about me confronting everything I'm really afraid of. Like, I'm really, really, really afraid of outer space. If you paid me a billion dollars tomorrow just to go up and come down, I would reject I wouldn't, it. I wouldn't go either. <laughs> Never. No way. I mean, sure. there isn't a dollar amount you could yeah. give me sure. to go up in a rocket ship. And um, I have no interest in it. And so I made sure that... 
part of the book is of the novel that's coming out last day is set in the International Space Center because it's a place that I'm terrified to even think about. It's a place I can never visit to do field research. And I really wanted to rely on my imagination, which was another fear. As a writer, can I rely on my imagination to write something? Because I felt that it was a little bit of a criticism of some people I know, mostly peers who read my book who said, yeah, that's great, but it must be easy to write about your own life. Mm. And you know, right. you, both of you know that that's We're absolute, memoir writers. We exactly. far from the truth. It is right. so far from the truth. It is so unbelievably emotionally and physically exhausting to mine your own life for material. And it's, right. I mean, it's just so draining. But I almost, it was this act of um, proving myself to say, okay, you want to see if I have an imagination? I'll prove it. However, however, what you just said is interesting because, and, and I think we would agree that regardless of the type of writing, it's very, very difficult to take the, the writer out of the work. Right. And you have still, in, in a way, right, by, by talking about or writing about your fears, you're, you're still very present in that fiction. And I, I find that fascinating because it's almost, I think most people try to say, no, 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 it's not about me. No, 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 it has nothing to do with me. It's just this thing I created. But in fact, no. you are really, really going to be showing up in that fiction piece. So I find that really fascinating. Was it an uh, adventure for you to actually see how you were showing up? Like, was it revelatory for you to say, oh, that's how I, you know, that's my filter. That's something I hadn't realized about how I am. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And um, yeah, that was really interesting to come up with. And um, for example, there's one character in the novel that I've been writing about since for, for maybe 10, 11, 12 years really? that I've been obsessed with and I haven't found a place for her. And, and I, in writing her into this novel and finally she found a home. I mean, I've written short stories about her. I wrote, I started a novel in graduate school that she was in that fell apart for various reasons. And I just couldn't leave her alone. And then thinking about her, I had to really confront some things about myself and my fears and why she kept following me. Because in many ways, you know, it's like the Flaubert quote, Madame Bovary et moi, which is so, <laughs> which is the most deliciously pretentious thing to say. Sure. Um, but I love it because it's mm -hmm. true. And I love that here is this man who can write about this woman and say, she's me. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that writers who or novelists or short story writers who talk about their characters as these completely disembodied creatures of their creation, I think that they're lying. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think if they're born inside of you somewhere, right? You know, there's got to be. And yeah. for me, and thank you for bringing this up in the conversation, it's very much me because it's my fears manifesting themselves. Well, you know, I'm going to applaud you for saying that you wanted to take on all your fears at once because I know as an article of belief that the way forward is always to look at my fears but the idea that I would ever actually do it is a little uh, questionable and for you to actually have done it I have to know at the end were you free? <laughs> I mean yes I mean, no absolutely not I'm still so afraid of these things and you know the book is about the end of the world and Every single time I read the newspaper, I feel like, oh God, I, I am a doomsday prophecy coming. You know, it's it's just it's really so scary to think about the end of the world still. Um, but um, were you a little bit freer? I think it. I it, it's interesting to have it on paper and to have it become. I mean, definitely, there's a sense of mastery over it, and that in writing these things that are so scary and yet having control. To a certain extent, because when you're writing fiction, again, I think control is an illusion. You know, right. I definitely these are my 
creatures of my creation, but then they start doing things that I didn't expect them to do and I follow them where they go. And so it's this touch and go process of I'm leading and then I'm following and then I'm leading and then I'm following. And so there is a little bit of mastery in that and like having a lucid dream where you have this nightmare that you've had over and over again. I've had nightmares that I've had over and over again and then suddenly in the dream I'd make a choice to do it differently and it's really freeing but it doesn't make the nightmare go away forever. It was, right, it right, still right. returns. You know, that's a lifelong process. Oh, I think I'm, I think you're free when you're dead. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I'm I'm absolutely. really sorry to hear that because I thought someday that. <laughs> Find this magic. I wish I could report that to you. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid of roller coasters, and I got. I took one day. I remember one day. I was like, I'm gonna get out everything in this park, and I left at the end of that day. I was just like trembling. I was like, <laughs> it didn't work. This does no. not work. <laughs> I mean, I even went so far as becoming a flight attendant because I'd never been on a plane as an adult, and I was terrified. Yeah. And I did it for a few months, and I was just a mess. Every takeoff, every right. landing, and I was just like. And I still hate flying. I'm still afraid of flying. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. So that's the literary version of yeah. you can try and confront your fears, but you may never conquer them. So well, were yeah. you proud and happy and, and thrilled when it was completed? Because I know you said that you were proud of With or Without You as um, anyone would be. Yeah. Really. When you got done with Last Day, did you look at it in? how did you feel about it? Um, it's, that's a great question. I, with, with or without you, the memoir, I thought it was such a challenging experience to write it because it was so personal. But when I wrote it, I was childless. I, you know, I had, I thought I had so many responsibilities. I had no responsibilities. (laughs) I could wake up and I could walk my dog and I could go for a run and then I could write for as long as I wanted to on my days off. Obviously I had day gigs where I was making money to pay the rent, but, um, and, and that felt really challenging. And then I became a single and mother. Then and then came parenthood. And not just parenthood, but parenthood without a nanny, without a partner, without family nearby. Um, I have lots of amazing friends, but they all have jobs. So I didn't have this. Ne- I, I thought I was going to have all of this childcare that I didn't have. And so it was me and baby. Right. And, um, and for a good six months, there was no, the first six months of my son's life, there was no writing. And I had to just tell myself every day, it's not gone. It's not lost forever. You will right. return to this. This is this, you know, that sort of the law of ther- thermodynamics, it can't be created or destroyed. It's always there. Right. This energy is always there and I can tap into it again and right. it might be hard and I might be sore, but I can do it again. And I had to just repeat that to myself. And then when the time came that I had a little bit of time, a little bit, like a couple hours a week maximum, and I would write and it would not feel good, but I did it and that would feel good. And then I did that for a year, and I had a draft that I could show people. And, and that so, was the memoir. That's how you... That, that was the novel. That, that was, was the novel. The novel, okay. Right, with the All son. Right. And so oh, that, nice. and with the baby. And so that, to me, I was so, so proud of. In fact, you know, with or without you, the memoir, I was so concerned how are people going to read this? Are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? Okay. Of course, I want everyone to love my novel, but I kind of don't care. Because... The fact that I wrote it, the fact that I finished it, the fact that I was able to sell it, to some, that somebody else thought it was good, this thing that I wrote basically in a postpartum fugue state, you know, um, <laughs> sure. is so empowering to me. Well, it, what's really fascinating to me is how you became so radically different. In one, it's just, as I said before, it's this fairly conversational kind of a challenge. And in another, it's a whole different genre. It's just completely different. Um, yes, I was learning new rules. I was learning new methods. It was so scary. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back. Let's start. Let's go back to the memoir for now because okay. I want to. 
Um, it's been out for a good while now. Mm -hmm. It was published in what, 2013. 2013. 2013. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that book a little bit. Let's talk about uh, the process for you. How long did it take you to write it? Um, how were the results when you actually were saying, hey, this is a great book. We want to publish it. How was that for you? Tell yeah. us about that. I um, started writing the, not the first chapter, but a chapter. It's a chapter about my stepfather called Mang. Um, I started writing that at the very end of graduate school. Um, again, as this, I'm going to prove all of you wrong because um, in all of my fiction that I was writing in graduate school, whenever I would insert little details from my real life, people would doubt them. And they would say that that was the most unbelievable part of the fictional story. Amazing. Except that... That was the one part that was right. from my real life. And, and I just got really sick of that. And then when I would tell stories about my life at parties, I got one of two responses. One was, I don't believe you. That's not possible. And then two was, wow, you should write about that. And I was adamantly opposed to it. Um, and then one night I got really drunk and I said, I'm going to show them. And I wrote this chapter about my stepdad. And I'm, I remember this. I made myself cry. <laughs> it was so, so, so dripping and whiskey and like maudlin sentiment and um and then accidentally deleted the whole thing because how I was, much do you think you'd written uh, i know I wrote, I wrote a whole complete oh story God. i mean i didn't i didn't, I didn't realize it was a chapter of a memoir but it was a complete non-fiction story about my life and it's the first time i'd ever done that okay and then the next day and this is the only time this has ever happened to me the next day miraculously i woke up a little bit hungover but not too hungover and i rewrote it and i i'm pretty sure i was faithful to the original draft. It's sort of all, it was there, it was there and it sort of came back really quickly yeah. and I said, okay. Yeah. And then I didn't touch it for a while and then I, because I was working on a novel and that novel collapsed like a souffle and I grieved it and then I, well, you're going to have to tell us about the grieving. We'll come back to that. Because <laughs> and I then I know, started, how do you grieve a really a, a piece of writing that you yeah, don't Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And then, <laughs> and then, and then I started working on the memoir and, um, I just started writing it one story at a time without any idea of structure, without any idea of how memoirs are, are written because I hadn't read many memoirs at this point. I've read hundreds of them since then, but at the time I was writing it, I hadn't read many. It wasn't a genre that I reached for. And then so just writing whenever I could, whenever I wasn't working a day job, which I had many of those, whenever I wasn't working a day job, I just made a point to write every single day. And in three years I had a draft um, that I was ready to shop around and I shopped it out to two agents that, I mean, I had a whole list of agents. I had mm -hmm. a list of 40 different agents. I, and I did that one by one. The first agent said no. And the second agent said yes. And huh. so, and nice. then she sold it six weeks later. And then I worked another year of re on rewrites with my editor, Cindy Spiegel, who's brilliant and amazing and wonderful and so supportive of my vision and, just the best editor because she gets what I'm trying to do. That's the best reader and the best editor. Sure. Someone who sees what you're trying to do and just helps encourage you to get that out. Got it. And that's what she does. And she's, she's done for me on my, on my novel as right. well. And, um, yeah, and it came out and it was better than I could have imagined. It was right. weird and scary. Um, and still remains weird and scary because it's so personal and people sure. reach out to me with these really personal stories about their lives, which I love, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's strange, but it was it was it was an amazing experience. You were definitely born for this because you just make it sound so natural and sure. so easy. This every step of the way that your instincts were to do the things that I always find are hard and they bring up lots of writer's block and you seem to just be uh, really what? an engine for writing. But go ahead. No, I'm so sorry. I mean I just saw a quote the other day and it makes me think about this, which was the 
creative adult is the child who survived. And, oh, and that, I love that. That resonated with me so much, and it actually makes me think also about you. So in essence, I think all of us are sort I of collecting. I think we should say that both of you uh, survived uh, some parenting that was a little bit different right. from the average. Right, right. But I think even in your case, I mean, even well, with your memoir, survived. we've all had something that we've collected as writers that we eventually... And it reminds me of a theme that has been running through our interviews with authors, which is this question of, where does the writing come from? And several people have talked about feeling almost a compulsion mm -hmm. to tell that story. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, I just needed to communicate, I just needed to feel like I was heard, but there's this uh, compulsion to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you didn't really frame it that way. No, no. I mean, the memoir definitely felt like something I had to get out before I could move on to more fiction. Um, so, uh, compulsion, maybe it was a compulsion, mm. although I kind of didn't care if it, I mean, of course I wanted my time to be well spent and to be rewarded for it, but I, it just felt like something I need to get out of my system before I could really dive into the fiction that I wanted to write. The thing about memoir uh, that is so scary, and in your case, you were so honest, you talked about everything, your childhood, all of your embarrassing moments, parents, grandparents, your whole life, really, and the yeah. idea that you then put it out in public, and all these people, who you don't even know where they are when they're reading it, or who they are, uh, have access to all of that. I remember when we interviewed um, other people, uh, particularly when we interviewed Jen Dahl, she talked about having a moment when she felt so vulnerable having done that. And, you know, it yeah. must be kind of a, of a um, approach-avoid conflict because to do your best work, you're going to have to really scrape and get in deep. And yet, to live, you're going to have to have some boundaries. How did all of that work for you? Um, I wrote the... It will, I really recommend the process of drafting. Um, oh, there's a, somebody calling in. <laughs> to our show live with a question <laughs> we'll have to just, we'll just have to let that go to message and keep talking so I um, I'm really grateful that we don't publish first drafts and that for me I mean definitely in the final draft in this thing this 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 object that is the book I, I'm very vulnerable and there are parts of it that are you know I think about my son one day reading it and I cringe so deep inside but um you know if you can believe it the first draft was way worse in terms of all of, in terms of a lot of things emotional vulnerability and uh that's the beauty of the writing process is that you get to make decisions along the way and what i always tell writing students or people who i mentor in writing specifically memoir is write the first draft at least if not multiple drafts as though everyone you've ever met including you you're the writer are dead and completely set yourself free. Sure. Completely set yourself free. That there's no possibility of shame or embarrassment. What would you say if you couldn't hurt anybody, including yourself? And then you can really access that truth. And then once you have that out there, you have, through the process of the craft of writing and sentences and structure and paragraphs and dialogue and detail choices, you can shape what you want to share and what you don't want to share. Talk about the process of psychoanalyzing yourself through writing. I'll bet when you read that first draft, you look at it and you go, oh, what an idiot. I, I was angry. I mean, more than anything, I was angry. Yeah. And, and 
what's interesting is I was really angry at myself. There was still a lot of self-hatred in that first draft. Sure. And self-hatred for the little girl that I was who was sure. doing the best she could do. Um, there was sort of a little, a bit of like, oh, wasn't it pathetic that I did X, Y, Z or that I thought X, Y, Z. And then in the process of rewriting, you know, I did that thing, which is really hard in memoirs. How do you inhabit the childhood perspective and the adult writer perspective looking back at the same time? Because... You know, I, I remember, I haven't read this book, but my little sister read this book called A Child Called It, which is like this really... Oh, I read that book. So gruesome. It's so hard. So gruesome. It's I just, can't even get through it. Like, no, it's too that painful. I have to, like, I have to skim through So it's it, this yeah. really incredibly raw, incredibly gruesome narrative of abuse. Very much told... And it's short. And it's short. And it gets very, right to the blows. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very, much, it's very much told from the perspective of the, the child. child without the adult looking back. And I think that... To me, that doesn't feel safe. I, as a reader and as a writer, I need somebody to come in. I need an adult to come in and, and, yeah. and be an intermediary. But then if you write completely from the adult perspective, there's a lot of they magic that's lost. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of magic that it was existed in childhood that when, if you can remember it, if you can go there, is so gorgeous on the page. And it's, and it's truer than anything. Thing, whether you know it's a perfect valid memory or not and so negotiating between those two was really hard but again that's I, did you shift back and forth I did and I think that was again that's something that I got clearer on in the process of you know the 80th rewrite the 90th rewrite now you mentioned that the editor was was great because they were able to stay true to your vision do you remember at that point in time what your vision was was it to have a compilation of stories that equaled your life or was it something else yeah, I had this sort of ethereal notion of the structure being like this, instead of the rising, you know, the Aristotelian, like a rising action to a climax and then a satisfying conclusion, denouement kind of thing. I want it, I, I can't tell a straight story. It's sort of a joke whenever I'm telling someone a story. I say, but, but wait, before you understand what happens next, I have to tell you this other story. And wait, 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 okay, so you need to know this person and this other thing that happened in this person. And so that can be really confusing. That's something that I've gotten criticism for on Amazon reviews or whatever. But um, uh, never read the comments. But um, I, uh, I, my vision for the book was sort of this curly Q arc. Interesting. Where I, where I, I loop, haven't seen where, that one. Where I make these loops, where I make these loops and then I come back, and then I make these loops and then I come back, and I make these loops and then I come back. And right. it's about my mother, and it's about me, and it's right. about us, and it's about us separating. But, yeah. you know, and, and it's about us being very much this um, codependent single entity, and then separating, and then me returning, but not returning. And so to do that, honestly, I couldn't do a straight. Right. That narrative. makes a lot of Let's sense. Just, to me. This is chronologically at least. No, if no, not, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is probably appropriate because we probably have done a little bit of curly cueing. Let's just stop for one second and give a quick sketch of the actual concrete story briefly. Okay. So sure. do you want to take it? Oh, I'm so bad at this. The I'll tell you pitch. I'll tell you and and you can elaborate on okay. what, what I would say is the architecture. There you have a um, experience growing up with a person who is very unlike um, what would be considered sort of the average norm. She, your mother had um, components that were extremely powerful, extremely harmful, extremely... I mean, she is the one who got you to, I think it was Andover Phillips Academy. Mm -hmm. At the same time, she used to give you drugs at the same time. She was um, able to make uh, a fortune at the same time. She was also succumbing to addiction. So that's kind of what you had to sort through growing up, and yeah. that became a very meaty memoir 
Nice. That was great. That was a great pitch. But I told you I loved it. You're hired. I love it. Meet Diane. My new PR. In that book, there were so many different characters. I mean, because yeah. your your mom knew, you know, some fairly ordinary types, and then mixed in were people of just every different grouping. Yeah. And um, so... Yeah, there were lots of highs and lows. And, you know, it's sort of... I hate reducing her to a DSM listing, but you know, she was a heroin addicted, bipolar, <laughs> single mother in the suburbs well, of Massachusetts. Well, she needs a book of her own. I mean, like my own mother, right. <laughs> so I get it. You know, and so I mean, yeah. to reduce her to those terms, I hate that. At right. the same time, as a shorthand, that's a really useful way, you know, right. and that this was in the, you know, very Catholic, working class, 1980s, suburban Boston culture. Um, and, uh, and so there were these profound contradictions where she sent me to Catholic school, but she paid for that Catholic school tuition by selling a brick of cocaine and then paid for my tuition in cash. We paid for a lot of things in cash in my house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I remember those days myself. I yeah. mean, we have a lot in common, you and I. Yeah. Which, by the way, makes me think of how did you come across, like, how did you get these um, medical diagnoses for your mom? Because I feel like it's a luxury. Like, I wish I had them from my mother because I feel like when you have it, it helps to explain them a little and right. humanizes them in such a way where I'm grasping at theories because I don't have that fine, you know, definition. Like, you yeah. know, how did you get that? Distance. I mean... But, I, no, but did they get... Like, did no, 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 no. So definitely, say, definitely no one has diagnosed her as an opiate addict. Okay. There's no question she's an opiate addict. Right, opiate right, addict. Right. I mean, she just... She does a lot of heroin and pills and, you know, and, she, and but hates to drink, which is really interesting um, because yeah. that's what I ended up doing. But then she, um, the bipolar, I don't know if she's bipolar, but from what I've read about bipolar, that makes the most sense because there were times when she was working full time as a manicurist, taking night classes three times a week at Harvard Extension School that she would drive to and from Cambridge, which is right. a pretty Big, functioning pretty big course load you know um and that she was doing sort of community service activities for the you know for like water safety in our community and all these things and she was really involved in my life and then and she would sustain that for like a couple of weeks a couple of months I, you know my memory's a little bit shaky on the timelines but then there were times when literally she did not get out of bed where it was just you know and I was me running back and forth from my room to her room to the kitchen to clean out the ashtray to bring her a glass of water to make her some soup because she didn't get out of bed for days and days and days and days and days that is interesting except to go to the doctor to get more pills right you know and right. so I don't know if she's bipolar but yes. that, from what I've read that seems a pretty so I've done, so we're in the same boat then because that's what I've done I've just kind of looked at these things and said well this kind of fits the bill yeah. and then I just thought it was interesting that you came to that yeah so. and then I've had therapists and I've had, and I've been blessed with such really, really um, compassionate, caring, wonderful therapists, and who said that she, they also think that she had narcissistic personality disorder. I've, I've come to that with my own mother too. Right, yeah. and uh, a lot of people I think are coming up with that. A lot of people are coming up with that now. Interestingly yeah. enough, yeah. I think you know for a yeah. long time no one understood what that meant, right. except for other survivors of narcissistic parents. Right. But now I feel like as a nation we're becoming very comfortable with that term and understanding what that means. Right. Right. I gotta ask you something. Yeah. Having gone through this roller coaster of a childhood, would you change it? Would you, if you had, you know, God came down and put his arm around you and said, I'll take your order, what kind of childhood do you want? Would you say, I want an idyllic living in Pleasantville, mom has apple pie ready, 
please. Oh my God, no way. <laughs> it's so interesting. That's such a great question, Diane. But because I think in the end, when you can write about it, you can learn to alchemize it, which is really powerful, right? So there's value even in the hard stuff. And there isn't, I mean, let's look historically at all the, the classic writers. I mean, how many of them have gone through some real torture, whether it's adult or childhood? Right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think trauma is all that great for anybody, whether artist or not. Yeah. Trauma is terrible. And, sure. it's the, and trauma is the enemy of art. But if right. you can, if, if you are truly privileged and truly fortunate and you can heal from trauma, it can be, like you said, beautifully, it can be alchemized into this other thing right. that can help you, that can help others, which right. is another way of helping yourself, which is amazing. Um, and this is, I'm going to I'm gonna get real sentimental right now. Hmm. I, so I have this little three-year-old son who I love so much I could sob and vomit just thinking about his face. <laughs> um, and in the logic of if you could change the past, would you change the past? If that would in any way change my life now, wow. hell no. Yeah. Because I, I really that. like who I am. Right. And it's been a long time coming to that place. And I like the mother that I am. I sure. think I'm a really great mother. And a lot. I, there are things from my crazy, insane, bipolar, drug addict, narcissist mother that were really cool that I bring into my son's life. Right. And then there's a whole lot I don't bring into his life right. because right. hell no. It stops right. here. But um, I like that about hit about me about us about this us this new us that i've created can, with this can kid you, let's talk about your son for just a moment he's because, my favorite person i could talk about him because all day. <laughs> i bet you because i i am you let's see if this is true for you and i'm sure for you too diane because when you have a parent who's disappointed you in so many ways mm -hmm. yet has managed to give you something I, I feel like there are moments when my two girls, they're four and six, and my son is 25, but they all give me love in their own way, right? But when I know there are those moments when they're like, say, Mommy, you're the best, or you know, oh, they'll hug you, or they'll do something, and you have those moments, and for me, anyways, those moments make me think like, oh my goodness, I was able to pull this off, I can have a child that loves me, this is great, I'm not messing them up, right? Or I'm not messing this up. Yeah. So, come on, share one of those. I'm sure you've got like a um, million. So, moments. my son's an early was an early talker, which I love, um, which I I want to take credit for. I am so such a great mentor to him. That he's, no, he just is an early talker. It's just who right. he is. But um and um and he was speaking in sentences pretty early, and I remember it was. Um, I, I tried to say this without getting too political. It was the day after the presidential election in 2017. My son uttered his first sentence, and it was. I love you, mommy. Because I was sitting on the floor, sort of with my head down, just sort of, I was like, oh God, with this, that sort of empty, carved out feeling in my stomach, like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna be okay? What just happened to us? You know, both the us that is my son and, and I, and the us that is everyone I know and love, the us that is everyone I don't know and love, and yeah, all of us, world. you know, the whole, the whole world. Right. And he, intuited that and he came and, and I knew he loved me you know yeah, but yeah. in that mammalian way like right. you know you feed me cool sure. I like I appreciate that about you you, you right. hold me a lot you pay me a lot of physical attention give you the smiles and the whole cool right. and the whole bit and but like and he, we were good like that but he said it and it, I it's so I could tell it came from a real place inside of him and it was his first it was his, his first, first sentence syntactically correct sentence beautiful you know he'd yeah. said like water please or right. I or more or something right. you know or like more fish or something but this is the first time he said a subject a verb a direct you, object mommy. I love That's you mommy so and he wrapped his tiny little arms around me oh, and so he knew what he was doing yes 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 and after having been in an intimate relationship that is your mother where 
she was taking, not comforting, to have someone so thoroughly meet your need just step forward and say, let me fix it for you. Oh, That's it was so, so sweet. sweet. I mean, I never want him to feel like that's his job, but it's also never knock. You know, it's as a, when you love so anyone, whether it's a parent-child relationship, it's whether it's... If you just do it. You it's want a, a very comfort. natural thing. It is. It's if you're healthy and normal. Yeah. Like, if you're healthy and normal, that is the key. That's what I've learned you, is the key. Right. If you've missed having a real love relationship because, like us to different degrees, <laughs> there were parental problems, then suddenly you have pure, unadulterated, perfect experience of love. That's how it feels for me with, yeah. with the kids, and I'm happy that we can sit here and say that we have that experience. It's so healing. Yeah, I never want to tell this to young girls that you can heal your pain by having a child, but it but, was yeah, really there healing is for me. That. But I think people innately get that, and that's why they yearn to have a child when they're in trouble. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why my son is 25. Right. Okay. I was on my own. You were looking for love. 18, and right. I was like, that wasn't the right solution, but he's amazing. But exactly. And I'm so happy that, yeah. you know, we have what we have and that I have him, so. So speaking about right, motherhood, so that seems to be a little bit of a thread here. Um, going forward, I know as a single mother, there are challenges for you. Is that something you can get into? Yeah, um, it is, and uh, it's just about time. Yeah, I and think we can. Yeah. I used to, um, you know, I used to really be just gorgeously self-indulgent with my doubt and my pain, and <laughs> oh my god, am I good enough? And, and sort of, you know, mope around my apartment and throw myself on the bed and have myself a good cry, and now... There is just no time, no for, time for that. No time, time for crying. crying. It's like you have three hours. If you waste even twenty minutes of it sure. on Facebook, let alone right. a, a, a tear of self hatred, which sure. Facebook can engender. You know, <laughs> you've wasted twenty minutes. You now are down to two hours and forty minutes, which right. can, in right. a blink, turn to two and a half hours. Sure. And then suddenly, you don't have as much time to get done things done. Right. And so that it's been. It's actually been great. I mean, it's such an obstacle, but it's actually such a gift too that. I have no time to waste. Absolutely. And I don't. If you have gone through such an extreme change to go from having problems with your own addiction and feeling... Mm -hmm. I think there's a sentence in there where you said something about, well, I have fucked up my life royally. <laughs> right? There's a, I forget which chapter is where you're talking yeah. about... Where, it's where you ran into... Oh, this is perfect. You ran into your stepfather at the Dunkin' Donuts not right. having had any contact with him and then For you walk years into and the Dunkin' Donuts and, and he's working there yeah. and you... Oh. And you, it was in that chapter somewhere yeah. you said, and, you know, I had always thought that I'd see him again, but not when I had completely fucked up my life. Right. Right? So anyway, getting back to my question, you've gone sort of from the depths to the heights in a fairly small arc of time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the end of the question. <laughs> the arc of time. The arc, arc, of, the arc time. of time. Do you, I guess what I want to know is, did you also get to the point where you were so thoroughly healed that you forgave your mother? That you could put your arms around her and say, I love you? Not there yet. Oh. Working towards that's, it. That's not there one. yet. That's, a, that's, 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 I mean, that's the ultimate. I mean, I'm not suggesting you that you have to, right? No, you right. Don't, maybe that's not. I'm not getting that from you, but it's, it's um, you know, I think as a human being, let alone, you know, as a private human being, not as an author who wrote this memoir, I would like to get there. I am definitely taking steps towards getting there. I'm not there yet. And it's not a um, unique story. It may be that we all have some degree of it, and your degree of that conflict between 
you know, being cared for and, and being sort of neglected and abused uh, is, a, is a greater contrast and a greater degree and a, and a more dramatic story. But I think everyone in maybe a more boring measure uh, goes through some degree of being angry at and forgiving their parent. And it, yeah. it probably is an archetype. Especially women and mothers. I think yeah. that that's a huge thing. I think understanding your parent for their you know, shortfalls is, is kind of a form of love, in my opinion. It may not be the traditional love, but hey, they're not giving. They never gave you anything traditional. So if you can come to understand right. them, mm-hmm. I think that's really going above and beyond what anybody can expect. And, and I think yeah. what you've done is taken that story and helped so many other people that I think you've, you know, whether or not you eventually feel like you love your mom, um, it's a very personal thing, um, but whether or not you have done something for humanity that means a lot, wow, yes, you have. I mean, yeah. you can Did you work, get, take your whole life to work through the rest. I mean, right, exactly. you get there, you get there. Um, Did you get comments from people? Did you get people reaching out to you saying this has been so helpful? All the time. I, it happens to happen last week where people who I don't know read read my book and in some way or another reach out to me to say that happened to me too um you told my story thank you know just perfect strangers who have reached out to me I had a woman from prison who reached out to me I've had lots of teenage girls Mm. who have amazing mothers who it was you know but through reading my book were able to talk to their mother about their mother's really problematic childhood oh, and it was sort of right. my book was the way they were able to get their mothers to tell them their stories so I've had some like just really beautiful yeah. powerful like I could cry when I think about it moments like that where I've connected with which is which is something I didn't expect that to happen it was right. I just wanted I mean as a you know I, I as a writer as you guys know just to have a book with my name on it was enough and then to have some money for that book of my sure. was cool. even better although as right. I think you guys could both agree right. just I didn't the, you know just to have the book with my name on it was enough for me right and then to have a little bit of money that was great but then to have people reach out to me and say thank you you helped me right that wasn't even on the list of things I wanted and right. it's so, so I, great I have to think that you're gonna have an entirely different audience I'm gonna say day. when this I'm terrified book, we're going somewhere else now it's gonna be well you know we have to remember that whether we're telling our own personal story or we're telling a story we're still delivering to a reader mm-hmm. and so as long as the reader's like I'm totally satisfied with the ride you're good yeah so it, yeah. Won't, it may not be as a you know fluffy <laughs> but I think yeah. I think you'll be fine I think you're an excellent writer it's another fear that I'm confronting with this novel it's just can I disappoint you know every writer can and I mean so and let, survive. let it go right I mean yeah. when your first novel makes this incredible splash you're kind of set up for a little bit of worry when you bring out your second. Everyone is worried when they do something um, and then they have to reproduce it. But when you set the bar so high. Oh my <laughs> I don't understand. I get airplane mode. Doesn't that mean that I don't get calls? I don't understand. I do think it must be difficult to have set the bar so high. <laughs> Maybe it would have been easier if you had sort of had like uh, slightly increasing amounts of celebrity (laughs) until you hit your stride and had a great one. I am absolutely terrified, sick in my stomach about the pressure of this novel in the face of this memoir and what's going to happen. Understandably. But again, I also am so much more liberated in that I, the fact that I was able to write a novel under the conditions that I wrote them, which, you know, I wasn't in a prison camp. It wasn't that bad, but 
being a single mother with an infant without help was really, 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 really exhausting. And the fact that I was able to put words on the page and make some kind of sense of it is all, and it's, is its reward for me. Right. And so, you know, part of me is terrified and part of me is like, I don't care. It's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. You have the training. You have the life experience. I mean, right. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's awesome. Every single time any artist puts a piece of work out into the zeitgeist, there's a moment where you can't inhale, and you'll get right past it also. Um, and yet I'll keep breathing, right? We all keep, keep breathing. breathing. All right, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, we want to let our listeners know where they can find out about you and your work, and then we're going to move on to our On the Hook segment. So, um, so okay. Monica, just tell people about your website, where your book is, when your other book is coming out, just one more time so okay. they know. So my website is domenicaruta.com. D-O-M-E-N-I-C-A-R-U-T-A.com. It's under construction at the moment. Hopefully by the time this airs, it will be beautiful. Um, I'm also on Twitter, at Domenica Mary. Um, You can look me up under Domenica Ruda, and it'll come up at Domenica Mary. Um, I'm going to be launching an Instagram account. Because I've heard that's a big deal these I days. I love Instagram. Do you? I need, I'm, I'm never I'm, on Facebook. I, I need some coaching. I need some I'll coaching. I'll help you. Thank I'll you. Because I'm awesome. terrified of it. Um, but I hear, you know, I'm already a hashtag on Instagram. Right. And so yes, just, you are. It's all these co- really beautiful pi- pictures of I will of be hashtagging book. you today. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I feel like I should join. And yeah. um, so that's where you can find me. And my novel, Last Day, is coming out from Spiegel and Grau, Penguin Random House, Sometime in the spring 2019 catalog, and will be available on Amazon. It'll be in my uh, places. All uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and your local independent bookseller. Awesome. And what's do you have anything else that you're working on? Because if that book is about hit to hit print, anything else that you uh, want to tell? I us have a short story on? that just came out in the Boston Review not too long ago Very that I was nice. proud of, and um, I have an essay coming out in, about being a single mother in ninth letter. Fantastic. And um, this no. is great. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, Dominica. So let's move on to our on the hook segment where we allow, we allow. Sorry, where we welcome, where we welcome our <laughs> guests to read from their works, um, either works in progress or their published book. But today we have the pleasure of hearing a little bit of the memoir. So tell us the chapter, and off you go. I'm gonna read the prologue. So the first three pages. It's called Glass. My mother grabbed the iron poker from the fireplace and said, get in the car. I pulled on my sneakers and followed her outside. She had that look on her face, distracted and mean, as though she had just been dragged out of a deep sleep full of dreams. She was mad, I could tell right away, but not mad at me, not this time. Her car was a lime green hatchback with blotches and stripes of putty smeared over the dents. The shitbox, she called it. We called it, actually. My mother hated the thing so much, she didn't mind if I swore at it. What a piece of shit, I'd grumble, whenever it stalled on us, which we could gamble on happening at least once a day, more if it was snowing. Far and away, the most unreliable car we ever had in our life together, it was a machine that ran on prayer. Among the car's many other defects, the inside casing of the passenger door had broken off, leaving the mechanical skeleton that controlled the windows and lock exposed. I poked my finger inside the levers, watching the sinewy rubber push and pull, the metal joints grasp and release. A spectacular display. I couldn't get enough of it. Stop it, Mum said. She reached over and grabbed my hand. This car's old as me. More than 20 years, at least. 
I don't know how much longer it's going to stay in one piece. Where are we going? I asked her. She lit the cigarette bobbing anxiously between her lips and slid her key into the ignition. I held my breath. It was a ritual so intuitive that I never questioned its providence or worth, silently assuming that any exchange I might have with the present atmosphere would choke up the magic at work under the car's hood. And then what? Would we be able to drive to school, work, and stores like everyone else in the suburbs? Or would we hear that familiar sputter and cough that so often ruined our day? Come on, Mum whispered, come on. A rumble, the engine turned over. We were going somewhere. My mother and I lived on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Boston was only 30 minutes away, though we seldom made it out that far, not in one of our, her cars. Wherever we went that day was close to home because we drove for only a few minutes before she parked on a quiet tree-lined street and got out. I remember watching her body pass by through the windshield, then jumping into her arms as she opened the door, lifted me up, and sat me on the top of the car's hood. It was a cool gray day and the metal felt warm beneath my legs. Mum leaned into the open driver's side window and pulled out our fireplace poker from the back seat. Then, without a word, she began smashing the windshield of someone else's car. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep bringing you great content. For show notes, upcoming events, and to participate in the Brooklyn Writers Project community, head on over to our website at www.brooklynwritersproject.com. Questions or comments? Send them to contact at lifelinespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Lifelines, the books podcast has been brought to you by the Brooklyn Writers Project. Music for this podcast has been provided by Anthony Nuda of Noble Sense Productions.